Well, hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman and uh, really appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing and making all the nice comments that so many people do from not only in the UK and around Manchester, but all around the world. It's really nice that so many people uh, are sharing and listening our content. Uh, we are Forever Blue and uh, we are a weekly uh, Manchester City podcast in which in most weeks I have a special guest and this week is no exception. I'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, but first of all, I just want to thank the support that I have from Howard Solicitors. We're a local company that is local to the Manchester area anyway, um, based in Ashton and Stockport. They specialise in all sorts of stuff, including personal injury claims on a no-win, no-win uh I'll say that again, a no win, no fee basis. So if you had an accident that wasn't your fault, give them a shout and they'll try and help you. 0161 872 9999. Or you can email them, law at howardsolicitors.com. They also deal with things like separation in families and, and all sorts of other stuff. So if you need a solicitor, a friendly local solicitor, give them a call. Tell them that I sent, sent you to them. Anyway, with us tonight, we have, and we're recording this on the Sunday, the day after City's latest victory, uh, four goals to two uh, over the weekend, having been a, a couple of goals down, um, with Amy, who's one of our uh, regulars, first time on again this season, Harlan, who I can never get rid of, um, who will be uh, giving us his views as well. But our superstar um, special guest today is Tony Adcock. Now, if you're a City fan who's been around for a long time, that name will instantly jump out at you. Uh, but if you are a younger supporter, let me introduce Tony. Bethnal Green born, um, so he's a, he's, a, he's a southerner, but we'll forgive him for that. Uh, came from Colchester United. I think the fee was around about 75 grand, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Um, and didn't play as many games as I think he should have done for City but did enough to feature in a game which will always be remembered, particularly by me, because I was commentating on it at the time for the club video, because City scored 10 goals in a game. A lot's been made this weekend of Liverpool scoring nine goals. Uh, I think Celtic did the same thing as well. Um, and City scored 10 against Huddersfield, 10-1. And we talk about hat-tricks as well, because obviously Erling Haaland scored a hat-trick, his first hat-trick for City in the game this weekend. Um, but this guy scored one of three hat-tricks, Tony, in the same game. So perhaps I shouldn't say who the other two goal scorers were. Just let you think about it just for a little while. Neil McNabb scored the consolation, uh, or the 10th. It wasn't actually the 10th, but the other goal, shall we say. Uh, and also there was a, a goal scored by a former City player, Andy May, for Huddersfield Town. So, um, Tony, you scored a hat-trick that day. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you giving us your time this evening. Um, what was it like playing in that game? And what's it like to score a hat-trick, which is very topical? It's, um, it was a strange day to start with, because obviously Huddersfield, probably for the first 15 minutes, were far on the better side. Um, could have probably been 2-0 um, And as you say, Neil McNabb, Scored the first goal and, and literally it just changed everything on its head. Basically, um, they desperately they were they were trying to play offside. The quality that the side, the players that I was with that day, you know, you don't allow you don't try and be offside without trying to more player right. Um, and and we just literally didn't pretend. And it was it was an amazing day because you just literally don't want to come off the pitch afterwards speaking into some of the other guys. What's it like when you, as, as the goals start to go in? Uh, now, I, I put my commentary on afterwards. It's a funny story, really, because um, I was the, the city commentator on the video at the time. But because this game was being televised by Granada, uh, they said to me there wasn't enough room for me on the gantry so I could just watch the game. And then when it ended up being 10 1, fans wanted to buy a copy of this video. So uh, Martin Tyler, who'd done the commentary for Granada that day, um, was contracted to Granada. And Granada said, yeah, you can have the pictures to the club. You can have the pictures, but you can't have the commentary. You've got to put your own commentary on. So I actually had to go and commentate after the game, knowing what the score was. 
So I had to pretend that I didn't know there was going to be 10 goals, which is not as easy as it sounds. Although, you know, you can say in your commentary something like, um, I've got a feeling they could get quite a lot. Could even hit double figures here when Neil McNabb scored the first goal. Um, so you sound like a bit of a smart aleck. Um, but when you're playing in a game like that, do you, at what point, Tony, did you start to think this could be a cricket score here today and, you know, we, we could end up, at what point did that happen? I think it was um, probably the, the ninth goal. You kind of, you just, you just think, oh, well, you know, it's a high score, cricket score, every time we attacked, you know, we were just, they were just literally, everything we, we touched went in the back of the net, basically. And you get to nine and you just think, oh, that could be it, really, you know. But um, then Dave sort of went round the keeper and just scored. And, and the 10th in the UK, it's kind of like, it was literally unreal. I mean, Dave didn't, celebration, I'm not even sure Dave kind of celebrated. I don't know. It was just, it was kind of a shock, really, in a way to get the 10. And it isn't until afterwards you do, actually. So we, we didn't want to come off, but, you, but afterwards you kind of think about it and you go, wow, that's some... That's, that's something to do, really. You know, nine is is, is, is amazing. Um, but to hit double figures. And, and I think, fair play to Atea, to Andy May, the pressure he was probably to, under to actually, to make sure it was it was at least they'd scored. Um, that took, that took some, some doing as well. So it was an amazing game. Ten goals, um, two, three, sorry, hat-tricks. Paul Stewart uh, and David White, in case anybody was failing to remember were the other two hat-trick scorers. I've spoken to David and Paul about their, their hat-tricks. What Can you remember your three goals? Are they, are they in your mind? Yeah, I think it was um, the first one. The, the first one, it was Andy Inchman, he was down the left side, got to the byline, uh, put it sort of, if you like, between the, the penalty spot and the six-yard, and I just sort of came in unmarked and um, headed it in. Um, the second one, I think the ball was played in, Probably from Paul Simpson, I think. I think it's, for some reason, I'm actually allowed it. Whereas I was able to bounce in the penalty area and I just was able to volley it into the corner. And then my third one, um, you know, I was years ago, I was pretty renowned to be a bit of a lazy player when I was a young lad. Went to Manchester City um, and, and, you know, that turned it around a bit for me. Um, obviously, you realise you have to work hard at a higher level you go. It's not all about your able to cover doing. My third goal was I actually put the defender on pressure won the ball off of him and then as the people come out I just sort of slid sort of slid it to him on you know to his left hand side. Um so that that was a, a even that you know hat trick it, it was special. Um I think the third goal, you know, I, I, I in some ways I did it myself really in the way, you know, it wasn't like I went from the halfway line and beat ten players and it, it meant more in a way, you know, as well as just as well as being a hat trick. Um but you were just when um, obviously Paul scored his hat trick and then finishing off just literally it was it was amazing I interviewed the three of you afterwards um, I do remember doing that and, and each one of you had a ball obviously only one of you could have the match ball first of all do you yes. know which one of the three of you actually got the match ball and have you well, still got your ball I had the ball and I believe and, and basically after the game I had the match ball uh, and then they, they wanted it to go upstairs in the, in the cabinet um, so you obviously get the kick-on balls. You know, one of the any of our goals would be the kick-on ball at the same time. Um, and then I donated, I donated it to um, the charity um, because you know it is. I'd given it to my parents. My mum was a Nazi supporter, um, so she had it for for years. And then it, it kind of came back, and you know you don't want the boys to play football with it, even though it's a special, it was a special thing. Um, um, and I think we had a supporter who wanted it. I think he, he, able, he was able to take um, Paul and David's ball because um, I think he had three children of me. And unfortunately, I'd given mine, even so, unfortunately, it went to a, a good cause to an auction, um, to a city supporter, obviously. Um, and, and so, in some ways, for him, it's a bit of a shame, but um, it, it means something. I might ask you a few more questions later on in the podcast about your time at City, but in terms of the City now, Tony, you know, you're looking at, at, at um, Erling Haaland scoring that, that hat-trick. Um, when you look at him, you're a fellow striker. You know, do you, is he as good as we all think he is? And what is it, if you agree with that, that makes him so special? I think, um, 
what was amazing to hear a lot of negative reports, negative comments from the charity shield and you know obviously Irma gets set up Liverpool and how good they were and you know and you knew that was never the case basically um, and I think he's now showing what he can do he's going to bring them into another level they're already on a, on a certain platform they are brilliant absolutely brilliant a joy to watch you, you can't help it you know uh, and, and and I think it showed us Palace as well you, even though they went 2-0 up you can't hold back with the, with, with the, with the players that the uh, City have got the Blues have got and particularly Erling he, he is immense and I think you know he's not like a Sergio Aguero he's probably I would even say um, not even my style of football he, he was probably more like Paul because he he's just a different dimension for, for, for Man City for Manchester uh, you know, he can hold the ball, he's strong, he's quick, um, and boy, can he finish. That hat trick was, was fantastic. And a bit of everything, in it? Let, let me bring in Harlan, who I spoke to immediately after the game, and if you haven't already watched the post-match vlog that I do, then Harlan gives his opinion on that, and uh, always gets a lot of positive feedback, which uh, always surprises me uh, from his comments. Um, so, Harlan... Um, We've got to start with Erling Haaland. I mean, he's the man of the moment. He scored a hat-trick. Once again, he didn't have a lot of touches and his contribution outside the box wasn't immense. But his finishing, he, he did everything. He did the tapping, he did the header and he did the, the the physical one. You know, that was the one that impressed me the most, actually, the third one when Gundogan played it through to him and he had two players right next to him. One of them trying to sort of just slightly nudge him off the ball, but he kept his strength and put it away. And, and even though, you know, it was um, other players could have probably finished had they not been under that pressure, how many could have done it with that physical presence right next to him? So give us your assessment, first of all, of, of Erling Haaland and what you've seen so far. And, and also, you know, the game itself against Crystal Palace, because it was a bit of a, you know, it's a, I pointed out, I think to you after the game, actually, that if you include the Community Shield, that's the fifth time in seven games, the last seven games, that City have been two goals behind at some stage in a match. Yeah, I, I think first things first, and I think what you've got to, re not you personally, what we as City fans have got to realise is what I said last weekend, and that is that teams like Palace under Vieira and teams like Newcastle under a manager like Eddie Howe, longer going to come to the Etihad and let you smash them for 95 to 100 minutes in a game with added time, of course, and just sit back, playing a low block and just have you battering them for that duration of time. Palace under Patrick Vieira seem like the kind of side now that, that, that can play much better football than under Hodgson, but that have still got that unbelievable amount of pace, prowess and quality where on the counter they can be pretty frightening. I'll be honest with you, Ian, at 2-0 yesterday and in the first five to ten minutes of that second half, if Wilfred Zaha would have been on the pitch for three or four of them counter-attacks that they had, they had very few in the second half, but three or four of them, I think Eze broke with the ball um, and he he didn't have that man to his left in Zaha that he would have ordinarily had had he been on the pitch. And I think that had they have had the 3v4 or 3v3 that they would normally have in that situation, with the pace that he has and the quality he has, we probably could have gone 3-0 down and then the game would have been gone. So I think we were lucky that Palace didn't have him on the pitch at 2-0 because we put ourselves in a really bad position with two horrendous defensive mistakes for me, simple defensive mistakes as well, which come from the fact that we were marking zonally. But then after one goal, I think, the head coach in Pep, in Pep has the ability to get to the back line and to the defensive unit. We now potentially need to switch to going man for man for the next three or four corners till we get a goal back and then we'll go back zonal again. But we, we, we zonally mark very poorly for two of them, two of them goals and we were punished for both. Um, Erling Haaland is a player that I've watched a lot of he is somebody that I've not got a chance to speak to him yet, but a guy I went to uni with, um, Espen Yistel, he's a Norwegian lad. He actually works out in Mulder right now as a sports rehabilitator. He was out there at Mulder under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the first season that Erling Haaland really started to get going. 
before he's moved to Salzburg. So I need to get an interview potentially with Espen or even invite him onto the podcast potentially one day and just see whether he's got any early memories of Haaland and whether he could potentially have seen what we're now seeing as a, as a footballing community worldwide. But his strength, his ability, his quality is evident, but we were neglecting him first half and we weren't allowing him to showcase what Gundogan trusted him to showcase when he fired that ball into him for number three, I think it was. And that is his ability to actually get the ball under control and create his own space and create his own ability, uh, his own opportunities even with the ability that he's got. And it was almost like we were trying to use him as a Chris Wood or a, a Peter Crouch for the for the duration of the first half. Like, he's not going to be that old school number nine that you just be able to lump the ball up to. Yes, he can do that and he'll score goals doing that. But he's a much more rounded forward player and he can drift out wide, he can pick up the ball, he can do what Aguero did and take a defender on his wrong foot and smash it into the far corner. He can tap balls in at the back post, at the front post, he can win headers aerially and he can also score a couple of screamers and a couple of toe pokes as we saw yesterday. So I just feel like we were, we were, we were allowing him to be neglected in that first half yesterday. And I mean, he had four touches in the first half. And you saw what happened in the second half with four better touches that were actually, you know, presented to him um, because players weren't as reluctant to give him the ball. And one of them players that I, I'm not going to go into too much depth because you're at risk of getting slammed off people, but Phil Foden's off the boil for me. He really, really is. He's the, he's the, he's the, the, the loose wire in this machine at the moment for me. Going forward, I've got to come in on behalf of people listening to this. He'll say, "Hang on a minute, Phil Foden sent in the cross for Haaland's header. So how can you say that he's he's off form?" So carry on, but I okay. have to throw well, that in because there will be people screaming at the, at the red phones or whatever you do when you listen to a podcast saying, "Did Haaland not see that cross by Phil Foden?" Okay. Oh yeah. Well, was that not after the additions of Ilkay Gundogan who changed the dynamic in midfield? Field, the addition of Alvarez, who I thought was much more composed in the 20 minutes that he was on the pitch than Foden was in the whole game. And he went out on the left wing. Foden dropped back into midfield and played an early cross that was a bit deeper than usual, um, which was a very good cross. But was it something that I've not seen anybody else do on the football pitch before? And could I have imagined Gundogan? Or could I have imagined De Bruyne? Or could I have imagined a Jao Cancelo left-footed whipping that in? Yes, I could. The difference with what Foden did with that cross and what De Bruyne does in games is that De Bruyne is the only person capable at times of doing De Bruyne-type stuff. Cancelo is probably the only player on the pitch now and again that will play that Traveller outside of the boot right-footed pass that nobody else on the pitch can play. I don't think Foden did anything extraordinary yesterday to blow my socks off, and I don't think he's done that at the start of the season. And it's not maybe his fault so much. Maybe it's positional. Maybe he looked better playing in midfield again because Alvarez is a much more natural forward player in that sense. But I, for, for me, personally felt that Fordham was hugely responsible um, for us not, not getting the ball into Haaland's feet early enough in that first half. And when Alvarez and Gundogan came on and Bernardo Silva took it upon himself to run the show, Erling Haaland started to get more joy. Um, and I personally would have took Phil off even before the cross. So dissect that. <laughs> Just before I bring Amy in, but I just want to explore a little bit out on what you were just saying then, because Stephen, who is one of our uh, Forever Blue team as well, sent me a message earlier today. I think he might be on Stephen next week as one of the team. But he said, uh, on the podcast, please give Pep some real credit for going three at the back and using Bernardo and Phil as wing-backs. Great decision. So whilst you've been criticism critical of Foden, he obviously was used in a different way and more effectively. So uh, I suppose what I'm getting at is, as well as giving Phil, uh, sorry, um, Pep some credit for the change, and I'm not, I'm not personally convinced that Walker uh, works as as a an inside fullback in midfield. I don't think he's, he's strong in that area at, at all, and I think that's probably why a lot of people criticised him. But is Phil Foden better used in a central midfield role than out wide, and is th is that the reason why we're not seeing the best of Foden at the moment? I think so, and I also think that that Jack Grealish is potentially better used in a role that he he came through that you know the Villa Academy playing in, and that was playing as a I won't say number ten, more of a number number eight maybe, left sided number eight potentially, and 
picking up the ball in midfield and helping drive us forward than being isolated on the left wing. But, I mean, I said that, but Foden looked brilliant out there last year without a striker, or when he was playing as a false nine without a striker. I don't feel like, you know, yesterday I heard people on the ground saying, we can't play without, a, you know, we can't play with a striker. Well, Gundogan found a way of playing with one. Bernardo found a way of playing with one. And Alvarez has been playing with a striker in Argentina and he found a way of playing with one. So Phil Foden was the only one in the first half that somehow couldn't seem to play with a number nine. And when he was playing as a wing-back, with the help of Alvarez and Bernardo and Gundogan, who controlled the game from the moment he came on and helped us gain real control in a in a very attacking second half where our line was higher than I've seen it ever, um, I think Foden was the weakest at finding the striker in Haaland. And all this in the interview after about Foden, well, isn't it brilliant to play with Phil Foden Erling and you know, you've got a great, great partnership. I don't, I'm not I'm falling for it. I think it'll grow, but... I'm not having that it was brilliant yesterday and absolutely unbelievable and you're playing really well together. I'm not buying it. I think it's sanitised that. I think it's just fueling the, the 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 propaganda of Phil Ford and being a young City player. What we are undoubtedly seeing at the moment, as I mentioned that stat before, of being two goals behind in five of the last seven, if you include the community shield, is you're seeing a City team which has tremendous belief in itself, great character, and in Pep, if you didn't already know, the greatest coach in the world who's able to, to make different decisions and different tactics. Um, so Amy, who's been patiently waiting for 20 minutes to open her account in this podcast, appreciate you waiting, Amy. Uh, you can comment on Erling Haaland. You can comment on anything you've heard either Tony or Haaland say. I'm going to start off by asking you a particular subject area to go into, but you take it wherever you want to. The floor is yours, right? But I'm a little bit concerned. I mean, it seems a bizarre thing to say when City are, you know, second in the league, uh, you know, effectively pretty much top of the league, playing some great, great football, showing that they can beat anybody, no matter if they fall behind or whatever, right? So no, nothing but joy and pleasure to, to talk about City. However, there is one little concern I have, and that is going behind and conceding goals and actually the defence going forward we're glorious and we've now got this majestic man mountain up front, but we concede goals. Now, it might not matter. On, on Wednesday, City played Forest. I've just been watching the Forest-Tottenham game and I didn't see anything there to be scared of. And, and I, I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to sound like a red, but I can't see anything but a comfortable victory against Forest in midweek. Um, I don't think they'll pose a test. But in the bigger games... Do you worry about defence? Is City's defence, goalkeeper, defence, back four, back three at times, as it was in Parma? Does any of that worry you, Amy? And what are your thoughts on that? But go wherever you want to go with it. Um, my feeling is we need to defend that back post. Nobody has ever stood near that back post. And as much as I love Edison, and I've said it pre in previous podcasts, Sometimes he can be really off the boil. Um, if it's coming straight to him, he seems all right. If he's got to move a bit, he can be a bit thingy. And I think someone needs to stand on that back line. I really do. I think that's where the issue is. And it was the issue yesterday. Obviously, John Stone scored an own goal. Um, but yeah, that back post needs to be watched. And I think that's where the issue is. Um other than that, I mean, as much as we love Kevin De Bruyne, he was off yesterday, really, really off. From where I'm sitting, I have a bird's eye view of everything. And I think sometimes people forget how many mistakes Kevin De Bruyne makes because he makes, but he makes up for what he doesn't do in being fantastic in other things. Yesterday, he hit, I don't know how many, how many Crystal Palace players I don't, you know, he shot the ball and it literally hit a Crystal Palace player and then they took it off. They were hitting us on the counter-attack then. And I'm sorry for being controversial there, but there you go. Um, as I say, from where I sit, I, I can see where, you know, where the mistakes are and I can hear people around me. Obviously, I've got people who sit next to me who are a lot older than me, been going to City a lot longer than I have. And... They were like in agreement with what I was saying. Um, 
yeah, all right, Harland, I hope he's going to be fantastic. I really do. But he missed sitters as well. And yesterday, Mark, like that first half, we looked tired. We looked absolutely knackered and we looked like our heads weren't in the game. And I was really hoping that Pep was going to give them a right bollocking when they got into the into the dressing room. And it seemed to work in the second half, but it took him to bring them subs on for something to happen. And I agree with Alan with Phil Foden. He was off as well. There was a few players that didn't have their head in the game yesterday. And um, yeah, it's definitely defence is something to look at, but definitely that back post. You, when you're reading about this game, Amy, I assume, like me, you either go on social media or you read a paper or whatever, and you see people uh, giving marks to individual players, whether that be fellow fans or journalists or whatever. Um, do you compare your own thinking to them? And do you, ever, do you often disagree strongly? Um, I mean, you said that the people around you broadly agreed with you at the game. But do you, now in the cold light of day, when you look back, because I certainly looked at the marks that were in the evening news and, and places like that. And I thought, oh, I've said to my son, what would you have given there? And I think I'd have given that. Do, do you do that? I think sometimes I don't really look at the statistics because I'm not, I'm, I don't understand it and I'm not going to hold my hands up and say I do. Um, but sometimes some certain players don't get the credit that they deserve. Bernardo Silva is one of them. Um, he literally, comes on and gives 100% every time and he is overshadowed by other big names that we've got. It's like, um, you know, Alvarez came on, was absolutely brilliant. He was brilliant against Newcastle the other day. Um, you know, there's certain players that get overshadowed and it's a shame really because it's always going to be the big names that get the, that get the mentions for everybody that, you know, social media you know, newspapers, whatever. And the people who are like, you know, the little men, as we got, you know, as we would, you know, think they're going to get overshadowed and it's a shame, really. And that's probably why there is always rumours that Bernardo Silva's going, because as much as the fans love him, media don't give him the, the credit he deserves. I agree. I mean, I thought, uh, I know Haaland got man of the match against Crystal Palace, but Bernardo Silva was the one to me who was the key man. And uh, I was at the press conference on Friday when Pep Guardiola was speaking and he was asked about Bernardo and his answer was, and I don't want to misquote him, but it's generally, generally what he said was uh, he hadn't had an inquiry for Bernardo Silva. Nobody picked up the phone. I think that was the, uh, the expression he used uh, and he, he wouldn't be going anywhere. But when he was uh, doing a post-match interview after the friendly against Barcelona, he sort of left the door open slightly and people were interpreting that that means he could go. Now, this week, what are we on now? As we're recording this uh, in the evening of the 28th of, of August, there are only three more full days. One's a bank holiday, but three more full days before the window closes. And there might be people listening to this on Thursday or Friday who already know the outcome of this. My instinct is that Bernardo won't go, but I wouldn't say I'd completely rule it out based on what I've heard. And I think if Bernardo did go, that would be a devastating blow for City. Um, now, Tony, you've been listening to this and I know you perhaps, you know, been living where you are and having had the career and, and doing what you're doing now, you perhaps don't watch City games in the intense way that Amy and Harlan and I and a lot of the City fans who watch this uh, do. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you do watch them, then then tell me. But based on what you've heard, are you surprised that given that City are so good at the moment, and I don't think for one second that Harlan or Amy or I are being negative. But when we pick through the bones of all this, are you surprised that we are uh, even critical at all of, of City, given just how good they are? No, I don't. I think uh, when you play for clubs, you know, everything's about the way you want to play. And you hear other clubs doing the same, or they don't play this way. And you want your team to be best every week. And sometimes it doesn't work, and that's why it's so good. And also as a Newcastle, Absolutely world class players, you know, and, and he can change. Um, and no, Silver, and, and you know, they can bring them on and they will bring different things to different games. If it doesn't work, he has the ability to, to change it. And the thing is, those guys that um, they're not having a good game, 
they'll go out, they'll go afterwards and they'll think about it. And they know they're going to fucking go. Um, we all used to, we all knew that. You, you would get told in no uncertain terms sometimes, you know. Like we said, you know, hopefully we'd get a rocket at half time, it blast into Harland and blast into the players that aren't doing it. And you generally used to get that. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I, I think looking back at some other moments, they're still doing that. But, um, and it's the G up. I think the players would know, and I think that would say something that would make them understand. Because basically, you're playing for your shirt, you're playing for your club, you're playing for your hands. You want to be playing next week. You want to be adding something to it and, and being the best player on the pitch. You may not always, and sometimes, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Crystal Palace are a hard, I think they're a strong side, a very strong side, and they will make it awkward for you. And if you're not on the game, they will attack you. You know, Zaha not to be on there. That brings another dimension. Uh, you could imagine that. But that's the beauty. I think a lot of managers and Pep will go, do you know what? We weren't good yesterday in, inside of it. But do you know what? We're going to win one. We still won. We're still there. We're still top. We're still up there. We're going to win it. Because that's, I think that's his mentality. And it will be run through everything. And, and as a player, you know, you've got to perform. And you, you just hope you're going to get a chance to do it next week. I know you, you played in a different era, Tony. And obviously, uh, I think you've, played more games for Peterborough um, uh, than any other club and certainly the number of times as I said before you played at City wasn't as many as I think it should have been because you were a, a really really good player who I thought didn't fulfil your potential at City but when you were a player and I know, and I know it was a different era I know you you're not a multi-millionaire and you're not in that in that category that you know Kevin De Bruyne for example today was at the Belgian Grand Prix you know putting his arm around uh, Verstappen yeah. And I don't suppose when you were a player, you know, you'd have been playing a game on the Saturday, jetting off to a Grand Prix on the Sunday and back in training on the Monday. It's, it's a completely different era. So the reaction of, of people that you would meet and crowds would be very different as well. But this sort of analysis that we do in the podcast, would that be something that you would hear? Would that be something you would block out and avoid? Would you read the papers? Would you would you hear the criticism? And if you did, would you let that affect you? Or do you just go into a zone and, and keep away from all that stuff? I think you'd probably find a lot, a lot of players, not everybody, probably would read. You'd like to think that you're not, you, you don't just read when you're doing well. You'd like to think you need to hear certain criticisms. And football is amazing. You just get, people see different things. You'd say, at the crowd, you know, you can, will agree with someone and another person will tell you, see something else. It's literally, you can watch match today, you've got people who played in the Premiership and Premier Shearers, and they, they can't agree a lot of the times. So, and that, that is basically what people go for, you know. Um, but hey, trust, you take the trust in that, and I just think, yeah, I played in a different era, and um, you had to, then I, I think now, nowadays, they don't have freedom. We probably have a little bit more freedom. Um, obviously, money-wise, it's, it's, it's a business more so now. Um, but it's still, it's still lovely. It still gets the juices going. Even when you, when I watch football, my mum and my mates watching the game, like the game, and we're all having opinion. Who did this? And you know, as you say, um, you talk about Ben Foden bringing Mott before he crossed the ball. You know, there's times when Sterling, when he was playing, you'd go, "I'll get him off," you know, you get him off, and then he'd go and score a goal. So, and that's what, how crazy it is. And, and, and you know, we all get wired up. That's what people are for you. Um, and none of us are any different, really. It's funny, Harlan. I'm sure you know this because you'll have no doubt watched it. But the match day vlog yesterday yeah, featured Dave Watson, who I thought was a tremendous uh, centre-half, probably still one of the best that I've ever seen, if not the best. Um, but Pete the Badge was there as well. And obviously you were on there. And after the game finished, the first two people, if I remember rightly, that I spoke to, um, both said that they would have made changes at half-time. They would have took Phil Ford enough, you know, that they would have done different things. And then, in hindsight, you sort of think, I'm glad I'm not the manager. You know, what What do I know? And, and I, I'm, I guess we're all a little bit guilty of this, apart from, from Pep, because I've said on the podcast before that, you know, if Pep picked uh, me, Harlan and Amy as the back central back three, 
if, if it was any other manager, you'd think he's lost his marbles here, right? And that's no disrespect to Amy or Harlan. Certainly a lot of disrespect to me because I couldn't play football, not to that quality. But them two might be able to, for all I know. But that's no disrespect. But if Pep says it, if Pep says you us three should be the back three, you know what I go? He obviously knows what he's doing. Then we'll still win, you know. And and I, I think I mentioned the podcast last week or the week before that I bumped into Pep in a corridor, and he said hello to me and shook my hand and looked me right in the eye. I'm, I was absolutely convinced he didn't know it was me. I didn't. What I mean is he didn't know who I was. He, I'm just a random stranger he's just bumped into. But the way he looked at me and the way he shook my hand and the way he said, "How are you doing?" right into my eyes. I could have run through a wall for him just after that. You know, he has got that type of, of charisma. Um, so I've gone wondering all around the point here, but I, I, I just wonder whether, having heard what Tony said as, as, a, as a former player, Harlan, when we are being critical of players, are you ever, a, you know, in the back of your mind thinking, you know, they are human beings or do you think they're just thick-skinned or... I suppose once yeah. you, you're earning all that, that money as well, and I don't want to bring money into it too much, but, you know, you're entitled to say what you think. I'm entitled to say what I think. Yeah. Amy's entitled to say what she thinks. That, that, that's what professional football is, isn't it? Yeah, Ian, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here, and I think this is, a, this is a key point I've been looking to bring up for a while, and I think it, it's key I do it tonight because people listening to it isolated and out of context are probably going to go, and they'll probably say, I've seen them say it before, uh, Alan smashed forward and on the podcast last week and he said he's a poor player. Out of context, it sounds like that. But I don't dislike Phil Forden. I think he's got wonderful attributes. I think he's a brilliant footballer. But I think he has also got flaws, which we've all got in life. But I do think, I don't know if you agree, I don't know if Amy agrees, I don't know if Tony agrees, that sometimes players can get this kind of entitlement with a certain manager or with a certain coach to a level that they believe that no matter what they do, they will never be made to, to or they'll never be reprimanded for it and that you've almost got status over another player in the squad. So if Gundogan gives the ball away, I hear him get leathered and Forden never does. And there's the other you know, question of if Phil Forden didn't come through our academy and he was a, an import, would he get the same amount of support that he gets because he's one of our own. Um, and I think it's a very key point because if Phil Fordham was, for example, a Raheem Sterling who was bought in, Sterling used to get so much abuse for doing the similar type stuff to what I'm talking about Fordham doing yesterday, running down dark alleys, not pinging the ball into Aguero when the, when the pass was on, uh, overplaying at times, um, you know, not whipping the ball in early when the opportunity was there, not squaring the ball to Aguero or I think at the time there was... I think Nalito was, was, there was opportunity with him in Nalito once. I think there was, there was just opportunities that were presented to Sterling that Foden's had in recent months that I believe had Foden have gotten them would never have got the same amount of abuse as Sterling. But then I go back to what you've just got, got to Ian, and that is the, you know, I'm not trolling Phil Foden. I wouldn't go and at him on Twitter now. I wouldn't say you were crap yesterday. You, you don't deserve to wear our shirt. You need to learn how to play with Haaland. Uh, I wouldn't do that. And I've had that kind of abuse, especially in terms of doing the pod. Or, you know, we all get it. It's out there. It is what it is. And you, you've got to grow a thick skin. You've got to learn how to deal with that. Because for every one or two people that say you didn't play well or whatever, 50 people might think you were brilliant. Uh, I've had it in commentary. I've had it within my broadcasting career, early doors. Um, people disagreeing. And football is about opinions. But... I'd like to think that when I give an opinion, I almost give a bit more of a, an insight into why I'm giving it rather than just saying Phil Fordham was rubbish. He doesn't deserve to play for City, leaving people with the question of why do I think that way? I like to think I justify why. And I think that's the key part. If you're going to ever say it, rip Ireland off, because I heard people yesterday say, take him off, he's doing well enough. He doesn't know how to play in this system. He doesn't know how to play in this team. Yet when Pep made three other changes, and Fordham was moved backwards in terms of the positioning that he was playing in, or the position that he was playing in, Haaland was able to score three goals. So, yeah, trust Pep to make the adaptation. But it was obvious to blame Haaland for Haaland only having four touches and not scoring. But it's not his job to pick the ball up from Edison, bring it through the defensive third, into the midfield third, into the final third, and then score the goal, is it? So, 
that kind of argument of take Haaland off fell down. Um, but that, that, that's, that, that's me going around the houses in a sense, but I think I needed to say that tonight. Well, uh, Tony's made a very good point. It was a great answer, that Haaland. You've explained yourself very well. Uh, but you bring a, a great subject into the fore here. And let's not make this about Phil Foden specifically, but let's just, because you, Tony, as a, as a player who came from outside, from Colchester United into to Manchester City, um, when you came in, you know, pe people like David White, who'd come up through the youth team um, and who, therefore, the fans generally have a stronger attachment to you. Um, and, and obviously, I, I love David. He's a, he's a big pal of mine. So this isn't an anti-David thing either. But did you feel as a player coming from the outside that somebody like David, either by the crowd, by the manager, by anybody, by the press, would be allowed to make more mistakes than you would because you've come from the outside, you're a southerner, you've cost a fee? You know, is there a difference between how you've come through into the team? No, I just think I, I think it really wants homegrown players. And, and to be fair, I was lacking that. Play. It was a short time and not long enough. Um, but but to play with with Brightwell, Ian Brightwell, you know, and into played um, and Paul Lake, you know, and these guys played for the country, youth as well, and they went on to more unfortunate football. But for the other guys, they wanted to get full honours, and I can understand. You know, they are, they're on the city, the city players, they want to play homegrown talent, whereas City now, Paul Foden probably is the only one, really, is, is homegrown talent. And, and in what talent? Potential talent. Um, maybe they pick him up too much. It's a different different game nowadays. Um, but but when, I, when I came in, we all, we all got um, stick. You know, it was no no different. Um, I think we even down to the manager, my imagine. Hey, he took no prisoners. If he said, I don't care who, who you were. And then you had Jimmy Frizzell would, would be the, if you like, it's the uh, bad cop, good cop, because Jimmy would come put his arm around that, you know, and he'd, he'd, he'd explain it in a different way. You know, and I can understand that in, in some ways, and that worked really well, because you understood, you would go away even more. And maybe it's hard to know, because we're not on the inside of how he deals with it, um, or his backroom staff. They could be doing a bit of that, but he may say so to these guys um, in a, such a way they get to understand it straight away. Um, it's, it's, it's just a different style, you know, and I just think, you know, Pep's on another level. He's the best manager in the world. Um, and he will continue, um, and he will continually be up there every year. Well, hopefully he stays. Well, whilst you've mentioned Mel Machin and Jimmy Frizzell and good cop, bad cop, I've got to tell you this story. Um, and there was a little while where I was the uh, the club commentator on, on the videos that they used to have, funnily enough, mentioned it before with the Huddersfield 10-1. And City played in a away game at West Brom. And the company that I was doing this for were filming a little behind-the-scenes video, which you can still think find on YouTube and um, you know, maybe even the old VHS video. And um, I was sent by this company, we're based in Sheffield, um, down to uh, West Brom, to the Hawthorns, to commentate. And I sat down on the, comment, on the commentary. And they, uh, um, I think they took me down in their van. Um, so I was transported from, from Manchester down to, to West Brom. And I thought that after the game, they were going to give me a lift back. And when we'd finished the match... Uh, the guy who ran the company said to me, oh, you're getting a lift back on the player's coach. And I went, oh, am I? Um, yeah, you're going back on the player's coach. And, and then they just went, right? So I was stranded in, in, in Birmingham, right, at West Brom. So I got to that very timidly, and I got to the front step of the coach, and, uh, and I, I didn't know what to do. I felt out of place, you know, me getting on the player's coach. You know, I shouldn't be on there. That's the, that's the player's area. Uh, so I get on the coach and I see somebody like Andy Inchcliffe or David White, I don't know who it was, and they, they say, oh, just sit down here, just sit down here. And I, so I sit there, I'm looking out the window and playing as low-key as I possibly can. Mel Machin gets on the coach and Mel Machin goes, goes to me straight away and he goes, what are you doing here? And I went, well, I've been working for the club, I've been doing this commentary, we're doing this documentary. He said, you shouldn't be here. 
you shouldn't be on my coach. I didn't know anything about this. I don't want you on here. Who is the person who came over and poured oil on troubled waters but Jimmy Frizzell? Jimmy Frizzell came along and said, he's all right, Mel. I know him. He's a good lad. It's not his fault. He's been told he's coming back on the players' coach. And I felt like I was like one millimetre tall now because I've been dressed down in front of everybody by Mel Machin. So Jimmy took me under his arm. I went back on the on the coach. Jimmy sat with me, talked to me, knew I was not in a, you know, in a good, I was really scared. I was only fairly young and everything. And it's a quite an intimidating thing. And he got off with me at, um, uh, what's that hotel called on the, uh, on when you, as you come into Manchester anyway, that one, the, the airport hotel, that one on the side of the, uh, the motorway and drove because the coach wasn't going back to main road and Jimmy drove me back to main road. So there was your good cop, bad cop, just from my point of view. Have you got any stories like that, Tony, that you can tell us? Um, well, I, I only purely as I say, I think we played balls at home and I scored, and I was, I, I was, weren't very good at the rest of the game. And Mel literally ripped into me big time. Um, and it was like, oh, okay, then it's like, because I came from such a small club, you know, when you score goals and no one tells you how hard you've got to work because they're happy, they just think because you score goals, that's good enough, and it wasn't good enough. And that's what Mel was like, you know, he'd standard. And it's quite right. And that's, as I was saying, that name is, it's all his standards. And that's why you want your players to be like that every every game. And I wasn't, but I scored. And you think, oh, that's all, you know, that's all right. And you, you and I soon learned to tell you, you know, you're on the laurels. You, and, but then I went into the bath, bath, and I think it was me and Whitey sat there. And he came round you and he just literally covered me. You know, like it would be a couple, but you knew it was like, come on, you know, this is, and he did it so softly. And I, and I got, I had a reaction, and I just said, well, I'm going to show you. Bill Machen, I'm showing you. That's basically it. Jimmy, thank you for that, because I needed that to take the other bit. And, and, and that's what it was for me. I mean, they were comedy act. I mean, you know, blimey, you go back to what, what they're not allowed, what we were, you know, they go Grand Prix and what that. What, the, what it's like now, you know, we are, we are, when I was a sub when I first started there, I had Eddie Large on the, on the bench. Eddie Large, bless him. You know, like, just remember thinking, oh, I've come closer and it's, it's Eddie Large. It's like cracking jokes. And, oh my God, can you imagine Pep, Pep doing that now? <laughs> I don't think so. So it was as it's before, but um, it is good cop band, but then brilliant both of them, to be fair. But they, they work really well, Mel and Jimmy. Now, I've got to ask you um, to give us a reaction to the Champions League draw because it was made this week. Um, I mean, the fans are always the, the last people that are being considered here. It's obviously UEFA who are organising this competition. I'm not, not, certainly not blaming City. They, they've had no control over it. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the fixtures weren't set until Saturday morning the day of the game against Crystal Palace. So I'm, I'm going down to the game, pulling in and, and starting to book trips, you know, while, while you're actually going to the game. And the first game is away in Spain at Sevilla. I mean, I know everybody doesn't go to games and I'm very, very lucky that I'm one of those people who spent my life going to games. But Chelsea um, have, a, have a home game against Brighton that has been moved from the Sunday to the Saturday with less than a week's notice. And as we're recording this, they don't even know what time the kickoff of that match is. And I, I just think that fans are being put to the, the back of the queue for, for all of these things. And I, I just don't think it's right. Um, it, you know, it's very expensive. The, the prices of flights, peak trains, we've seen all the strikes. The fans are the last people that ever matter in all this. You must have a view on this, Amy. You're a fan. You're a proper down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth Manchester City supporter. Um, you know, these fixtures being moved around. You you have a job, right? And and game get moved around as midweek games. I don't know whether you want to or you have much opportunity to go to away games. But does it not bother you sometimes that, that fans are treated so shabbily by the major... I mean, at this moment in time, it might seem like a way off, but... City's League Cup tie against Chelsea. We still don't know what day of the week that's on. So if, if somebody wants to book that day off, either because they're a home fan or they're a Chelsea fan who wants to book some time off or they're an international fan who wants to travel, they can't plan anything because nobody knows yet. Does that not bother you as much as it bothers me? 
No, I mean, it's like it's like Wednesday, for instance. That kickoff time is just ridiculously stupid. 7.30. Like, yeah. I've had to swap shifts so that I can make the game because I'm on a late shift this week. I should be finishing at 6. And I've asked my girls if I could swap with them. They didn't have to swap with me, but they've they've been nice and, and allowed that. But I don't get to go to um away games i'd love to go to one abroad i really would but the holiday time at work is pants i will just say that so um i've got and i'm going on holiday in like few weeks and stuff and i'm gonna miss a few games and like think anyway but um like everyone goes on and they're like oh and i can't get this and, I, and i'm thinking it's awful like it, it's you've literally got a you can't have a life because, well, at my work, you can't have a life. You literally can't. I've had to book a day off to go to a concert. That's how bad that is. Like, you know, it's just silly things like that. I mean, I either work half seven till half four, five, half five, or I do till six. So, um, you know, it's just, it is really, really difficult. And, you know, I am lucky that I don't work weekends because God help people who do work weekends. I don't know how they go on, like, trying to figure out how to go to places and stuff um but yeah unfortunately I can't do away games I would love to and I'd love to try and get to one abroad I'll have to leave work I think that's the only way I'd like be able to get to go um but yeah I, I do feel for the fans I really do because it's literally it's just game after game after game and if you're not at home you're having to travel somewhere else or you're having to fly out or I don't know. Last minute. That's the key yeah. bit. You know, you, yeah. you don't even have time to plan it, do you? Yeah. I don't know. People have time to pack a case or anything. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm lastminute.com packing person anyway, but I literally don't know how people like manage their families, the children. They've literally just got to go, bye, love, I'm going. Like, I just don't get how, how people plan their lives because it is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it really, really is. So I'm I'm quite lucky, really. I only have to deal with home games, but I feel sorry for fans. I really, really do. You travel home and away and abroad and, you know, and things like that. And, like, the obviously we had the thing with um, when the Champions League game was moved, you know, the, the uh, final was moved, how much planning that had to happen and things like that. And I just think, oh, my, I don't, I, I'm really bad at with, with things like that, it'd mess my head. I don't like flying as it is, and the thought of just having to have all that stress to deal with, I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. But, yeah, I do feel for fans. I really, really do. Well, I'm, my wife asked me today, why is the game at 7.30 on Wednesday? And I couldn't answer her. I said, I have no idea. You know, sometimes it's 7.45, sometimes it's 8. There's even 8.15 kickoffs. I think the Arsenal game away now. On the Wednesday, it was the Thursday, it's now yeah. moved to the Wednesday. I think that's now an 8.15 kickoff. And you think, there's just no sense in it. So, yeah. what do you think of the Champions League draw, Amy? Seville, FC Copenhagen and Dortmund. Uh, will you go to all those three home games? Um, yeah, well, I, hopefully I can do, yeah. Uh, I am I am going. I am on the Champions League thing. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good a good thing. It's nice to play, and I always say this, it's nice to play people that we've, not, we've never played before or we don't, you know, we've never really, you know, so it'd be nice to... We've played all uh, three of them before. Oh, well, like, well, you know, we've not really played them for ages or whatever, but it's not, I think it's always nice to have a game of, like, you know, people who you've probably not played for ages or whatever, so... But um, I've been to Copenhagen a couple of times. Boyfriend's brother lives there, so uh, we go to Copenhagen quite a lot. So it'd be nice to be nice to see them. Lovely city, lovely city. Remember going there last time City played them? It was freezing cold, um, and I was I had to carry all my equipment because I was commentating for the BBC at the time uh, back to the hotel, which is about a mile and a half away. I couldn't get a cab, I so I walked all the way trudging through this freezing snow. But you know what? I wish you were still doing it now. Now, Harlan, <laughs> um, what what do you think of the draw? Yeah, it's interesting. Um... You know, we get to see Navas again, which is a highlight for me and Jess. We love him. Love Jesus Navas. I know he was another one that was a 
he was the scapegoat of many, many, many posts that he performs as even in title winning seasons. It was always, even if Navas was not in the 18, it was Navas's fault why somebody else give the ball away. Do you know what I mean? One of them were, uh, I think at the time, I think you'd get like, I don't know, like Yavi Garcia would lose the ball and it'd be Navas's fault. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, he's not even in the squad. I heard you work that out. Um, so, and of course yeah. for Haaland, he's got Dortmund, who obviously is his, his former club, and he's going to Denmark, which yeah. is, you know, part of Scandinavia. So it's yeah. not far away from, from where he grew up. It's like the Haaland group, isn't it? The Haaland group, <laughs> yeah, the Haaland group. And I think Sevilla, Sev- 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 uh, you know, they're a good side. They're a European giant in terms of Europa League football. You know, I remember, you know, Emery won the, the tournament three times on the bounce, didn't he? Or three times on the bounce at Sevilla, and then he went, obviously, and won it at... Uh, um, at Villarreal so you know the, the Spanish clubs are the clubs that are seen to be you, know, you look at Real Madrid's record Sevilla's record they've, they've dominated Europe in many ways in their own right over the last couple of decades so yeah good side in Sevilla Copenhagen's a nice one um, they do quite well in their own league but in my honest opinion we should beat them over both legs it should be a bit like the Lisbon ties last year where we, we beat them over both legs and, and Dortmund's a different entity, you know, Jude Bellingham, and he's going to probably stay there till next summer now and then move. So he'll be in, he'll be involved in that one. The last time we played Dortmund, we beat them 2-1 and 2-1, if I'm right, Ian, um, in the Champions League quarterfinals, wasn't it? Before PSG. So they're a different side to that now. They've made their own signings. Of course, best wishes to their number nine, Seb Haller, who's going through treatment at the moment for, you know, the testicular issue that he he's got at the moment, which is a sad one because they've just spent a lot of money on him, the ex-West Ham striker. So maybe he's fit for the second second one of them games. Maybe he's not. But um, you know, good club, good people, good fan base. And of course, I've said to Jess, if there's one Champions League away game I want to go to this time, it's at the uh, West Fallen Stadion, obviously their ground. Signal Iduna Park, I think it's called as well, in in, in sponsorship for sponsorship reasons. But, but I want to go there. I want to see the yellow wall. I want to experience what's that's, what that's like. You've seen it yourself, Ian. And there's just something about German football and German fan bases and atmosphere that I've seen against Bayern Munich at home in the Champions League. They're just a different breed of people. They, they absolutely breathe atmosphere and that's going to be something that's probably going to turn the Etihad with fans again because last time we played Dortmund, there was no fans in the ground, of course. It's going to turn the Etihad with the new three tiers we've got in our safe stand into a very atmospheric place to be on the evening of that game. So I'm looking forward to that, yeah. I'm going to leave the last word in the podcast to Tony. Um, but first of all, I just want to thank once again Howard Solicitors, who have offices throughout Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So it's likely that if you need some help or guidance on whatever the subject is, whatever the need for a solicitor is, then they'll have somebody that can help you. You can call them at 0161 872 9999 or email law at howardsolicitors.com and howardsolicitors.com is their website as well um thanks very much to harlan and to amy and of course to you for listening and everything but finally a big big thank you to tony tony adcock former city striker who uh, i met when we were was it when city played uddersfield or i can't remember the circumstances of you and paul and david you're all uh and yeah. you, you didn't look you don't look any older than you did when you were playing, Tony. What, what, have you got a magic picture in your attic or something? Oh, oh the no, glasses. So so I mean, do, how, how closely do you follow City? I mean, I know you're a southern and everything, but do you do you think back fondly? Yeah, always 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 follow. I don't get back obviously as much in fairness all, all the clubs I play for. You don't generally get back, but when you meet up with people, I've met some great friends and, and some people over the time, and you go back and you always have great friends. And um, it, it in my heart, always will be. Um, and um, for such a short space of time, but it made such a difference for me play for such a fantastic club. Well, I, I honestly, I'm not just saying this, I thoroughly enjoy watching you play um, and, and only remember your time fondly. And one of your teammates that you've mentioned, Paul Lake, hopefully, is going to be our special guest on the podcast next week. So uh, we'll continue on the theme. Next time you're up in Manchester, let me know so we can get you on the match day vlog. But in the meantime, thanks very much indeed for, for being our special guest. Um, 
All I can say is, obviously, Forrester, the visitors to the Etihad on Wednesday. I'll be down there with my camera, uh, doing my match day vlog as usual. Uh, whether I'll see Pete the Badge and Dave Watson again or whoever it'll be uh, remains to be seen. But thanks very much for listening, watching, supporting the stuff that we do. And uh, and if you only remember one thing from this podcast, you might remember nothing. But if you remember one thing, remember this. Isn't it great to be a blue? <laughs>